Let me ask you a question. It's February 7th today. How's everybody doing on those New Year's resolutions? <laughs> it's funny that we, we make New Year's resolutions every year. Maybe some of y'all have given up. But according to some statistics that I found, in 2021, so this year, 75% of Americans made at least one New Year's resolution. Most of them are some kind of health-related thing, right? We're going to work out more. We're going to, you know, eat better. And so that's why the gym is always packed in the month of January, and then it kind of tapers off, right? And actually, it was interesting that the, the stats that I saw were graded by generation. So millennials, like 88% of millennials made a New Year's resolution, which is of course, 13% higher than the average. And then Gen Z, which comes after millennials, 91% of them made a New Year's resolution. So I don't know if that's a generation thing or an age thing or what. But according to stats that have been kept in the past, 8% of those people are going to actually keep the New Year's resolutions they made. 8%. So that's many hundreds of millions of people that are not going to keep their New Year's resolutions. And I'm not about to preach about New Year's resolutions today. But I do want to talk about this because it's closely related. In the church, we are accustomed to making resolutions for the Lord. We hear a great message and we say, all right, no more messing around. We're going to start praying. Or, all right, you know what? That's enough of that. We've got to get out and do what we know we're supposed to do. I've been meaning to share the gospel with that guy forever. It's about time we get around to it. Or I'm not messing with that sin anymore. We make resolutions in the church. And unfortunately, we tend to fail on those resolutions too. And sometimes we get really bummed out because we say, I've said I was going to do this a thousand times and this is the one thousand and first time and I don't think I can stand it one more minute. But I want to draw out from these verses that that is a good instinct to have. It's a, that's an important thing to remember because whenever a lot of people fail at something, there's always somebody that wants to come up and say that it's a bad thing to try and do anyway. Have you ever heard that, like the sour grapes kind of thing? Like, listen, it can't be done, so we should stop stressing out about it. Well, I'm going to tell you that it is a good instinct to want to try and be doing better in your walk with the Lord. Isn't it? That you should, you should be having those moments where, okay, I messed up again, but we're going to, this is this time for real. That's a good instinct to have. It's much better than saying, well, I guess that's just the way that I am. So today's title is called Making Good on Good Intentions. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches us that we are all going to stand before Christ one day. And you're going to receive rewards for what you've done in the body. That the Lord is going to evaluate your life and see how it measures up to his standard. So we, we don't get the option to give up as Christians and say, well, I'm just going to float the rest of the way and see what happens. This is all about making progress today, moving forward. The Thessalonian epistles talk about sanctification a lot. We've been hitting on that. The end of the first epistle had all those, remember, short, pithy commandments. Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this. Here's some things you got to do. We looked at the progress that they made a few weeks ago. So today, I hope, will be a very practical message and also a very fun one. Because when we talk about making resolutions and making a, a desire, we're going to do this right, we got to be aiming at the right thing, you know? We, we can't just pick something that sounds good but maybe has nothing to do with us. We need to know what the Lord wants us to do, because if you can resolve to do what God wants you to do, this passage is going to teach us you can expect divine help to accomplish those things. Isn't that cool? Sometimes I feel like with my resolutions, I could use a little divine help to get these things done, to get some heavenly power to, to fill me up. So 
We're going to run through three, three steps here. These are the three things that Paul's going to pray for today. Today, you need to, first of all, know your calling. Paul's going to use that phrase, that calling, the, the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. You've got to know what it is. If you're going to pursue it, you've got to know what it is. Number two, you've got to commit to it. It's not enough just to know what it is. You've got to decide and resolve, we're going to do this. And number three, you've got to work your calling. You've actually got to put legs to your resolutions. You can't just say, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm going to do it. You've actually got to do it. Now, some people, including myself at an earlier age, can turn up their nose at messages like this because it doesn't feel very spiritual. It doesn't feel very doctrinal. Why don't we talk more about the, the endless, boundless mysteries of God and the universe? And this is so basic, and it, it sounds like a self-help book. Well, it's not self-help. It's God help. God wants to help you. God's got a plan, and you're going to read this, that God is actually ready to assist you. So we're going to look at what the Bible says. There will be plenty of doctrine to support the things we're going to say, but this is real boots on the ground, rubber meets the road Bible study. So I hope that it'll be exciting and fun for you. I had a lot of fun preparing it. We're going to read both of these verses because it's not very long, and then we'll break it down one phrase at a time. Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those neat little passages that I knew it was in there, but I didn't know it was in there. You know what I mean? You read it and you go, oh, that's, that's pretty cool that that's in there. So let's break this down one phrase at a time. If you're in the IBS class, this is hopefully great practice for you. Let's look at what he's saying, because these two verses are one sentence. What is this sentence about? Well, he says, we always pray for you. This is a prayer that Paul is giving. Paul and, of course, Silas and Timothy. Paul has a habit of finishing up his introductions, finishing up his blessings, and you've been doing so well, and here's all the great things we love about you, finishing that up with a, with a, a benediction, with a prayer. We saw this in 1 Thessalonians, that chapter 3 ended with, this is why we always pray for you. And he said, now may our God grant to you these things. And a lot of the epistles have these prayers in them. And they're well worth your time to go look up. We're not going to get into them today. We're just going to focus on this one. But Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, Romans, they all have these outstanding prayers that Paul lifts up for the churches. You should pray them yourself. Open them up. Make a list of all the things Paul prayed for and then make that your prayer list for the day or the week and rotate through them. Maybe do one every week if you can find seven of them and say, God, this is what I'm praying for for myself and my family and my church. Because 1 John 5.14 tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that we have it. So if God put a prayer in the Bible, you don't have to worry about whether or not it's his will, do you? We've talked before, you really shouldn't stress about that anyway. But if it's right there, pray that. You want a prayer that you're guaranteed an answer for? Verses 11 and 12 of this chapter right here. And the context, if you remember from last week, was about the coming judgment. That God is going to vindicate those who are being persecuted, and he was going to bring wrath upon those who were persecuting them. And he says at the beginning of verse 11, To this end we pray. To this end is eshah in Greek. You could also translate that, with this in mind. 
So the question becomes, is he looking forward and saying, this is what we're praying for? Or is he looking backwards and saying, keeping that in mind, this is what we're praying for? I, I think it's both and. He does tell us what he's praying for, but he also has it in the context. So whether he explicitly said it or not, it's a heavenly perspective. So Paul is praying for the Christians and for you and for me and giving us an example for our lives with the fact that one day you will stand before God, you will be rewarded for the things you've done in the body, and that this life, which is so short, is only going to be the first blip of the rest of eternity. I think it was C.T. Studd that first said, just one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. That's really cool because it rhymes. <laughs> and it's also very true. So we're going to pray for them. Let's get into this. What are they praying for? He says, to this end, or what is the content of Paul's prayer? And he says, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith. So, God is the subject of Paul's prayer. He's using what's called the subjunctive mood. Don't worry about it if you don't know what that is. He's saying that God might do three things. And he uses two verbs there. That God might, number one, make worthy, and then fulfill two things. So make worthy one thing and fulfill two things. And we'll go through these one at a time. Now, your Bible may say where he says that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Your Bible might say judge worthy or consider worthy or reckon you worthy. And this is the Greek word axiao. Axios means worthy. So it's just taking the word worthy and making a verb out of it. And usually it is translated that you will be considered or you will be judged or you will be evaluated worthy of something. And the, the, the translation to make worthy is what you would call a dynamic translation. It's an interpretive understanding of that phrase. Because you look at the rest of the verse, it's that God may judge you worthy, but you see that it's by his power. Is he judging you by his power? It's really more that he's empowering you to be considered worthy. So make worthy is fine. It's very similar to Philippians 2.13 where it says, It is God who worketh in you both to will and to do. Right? So is God empowering us, or is he wanting us to do the right thing? Well, it's both of those things. Yeah. Sometimes when there's what you call ambiguity in translation, or we're not sure if it's this one or that one, I think sometimes the authors of Scripture wrote it that way so that you would get both senses out of it. It's what's called a double entendre, so that you could see the, this side of it and that side of it. So we don't have to make firm decisions there. We'll just stick with the ESV, right? that he will make you worthy. And the first, that's the first prayer, that he will make you worthy of his calling, that you will live up to the God's calling on your life. That's pretty cool. I pray that God would make you worthy or empower you to live such a way that you will be judged worthy of the calling on your life. You know, I looked up that word called in the New Testament, and I got a lot more results than I expected. Descriptions of the things we are called to as Christians. But these are descriptions of your salvation, and the New Testament authors love the word called. They all use it. Every author in the New Testament uses it. And I'm just going to run through a quick list of the things it says we are called to as Christians. Number one, we're called to peace. We're called to adoption as sons and daughters of God. We're called to sainthood. It says that we are called to be saints. We are called to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. We are called into fellowship 
with the Son, who is, of course, Jesus. We're called to grace, Galatians says. We're called to freedom. Isn't that cool? We're called to hope. We're called to holiness. We're called to glory. I like that one. We'll talk more about that at the end of this, this study. Called to glory. We're called to eternal life. We're called, First Peter says, out of darkness and into marvelous light. And we're called, First Peter also says, to blessing. Isn't that great? That God's called you to blessing and not to be cursed? So you could sum all that up and say you're called to salvation. To be called to be one of God's children, to be called to holiness or glory, is to be saved. And every Christian has received this calling. Isn't it neat to think that you have been called to be a saint? Saint is not some special category of super-Christian that only applies to a few. 1 Corinthians says that we have all called to be saints. Ephesians says we have called to be counted among the saints. So what's your name? Put saint in front of it, and that's your name. So I'm Saint Tyler. Very 90s saint, it sounds like, isn't it? Saint Tyler. Every Christian has received this calling. That's salvation. Now, that's the, that's the clear, obvious part. Here's where we're going to get into some fun, I think. While each one of us is called to what you could say the same calling, to be Christians, to be saved, every one of you also has an individual, specific calling on your life. How cool is that? God has a specific calling on your life. We've said it this way sometimes. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And I want to take the time to demonstrate from the scriptures that that is true. Because that's one of those phrases we say so much that we get used to hearing it and we start to wonder, is that something we made up or is that actually in the Bible? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You've got a calling on your life. God's got a purpose for each one of you. And there are some folks that have a lot of fun going around and blowing up things that they think are just things that Christians say and that are not actually in the Bible, even though they might be representative of something in the Bible. You may have heard, there's no specific calling for each person. It's about being called to salvation, and the rest of it is not really relevant. God doesn't have a specific plan for each one of you. And they, they want to then attack the church as being real seeker-friendly and trying to find each person's calling and purpose. Well, listen, I'm not interested in catering to people's whims, but I am interested in what the Bible says. So let's go back to what the Word says, and I'm going to prove to you, hopefully, from the Scriptures that you do have a specific individual calling on your life from God Most High. So we're talking about the kind of calling that Jeremiah had. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, you remember this one? It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. God tells young Jeremiah, he said, before I even made you, right? The psalm says we're fearfully and wonderfully made and knit together in our mother's womb. The Lord says, before even that happened, I had decided that guy's going to be a prophet to the nations. And there are other examples of this. You look at Samuel, who was literally called, right? When Samuel was a little boy in the tabernacle, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, what do you want, Eli? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it was the Lord calling him. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. That sort of calling. That's what we're talking about. And if the Lord formed Jeremiah in the womb and had a plan for that person he was forming in the womb, I think it's safe to assume that every person God has formed in the womb, he had a purpose for them. But some people will say, no, 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 no. First of all, that's Old Testament, so we can't use it. And second of all, that's a prophet. 
Maybe it's not even a theologian. Maybe that's just your own heart. Well, God calls prophets, and he calls pastors, and he calls kings. He doesn't call people like me. Well, let's look at what the New Testament says. John 15, 16. Jesus said at the Last Supper, You did not choose me, but I chose you that you might bear much fruit. So that's New Testament. Old Testament is still relevant, but sometimes we have a hard time accepting that. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you that you might bear much fruit. I didn't just choose you to be on the team. I chose you to bear fruit, to contribute. I've got fruit for you to bear. So a Christian has not only been called as a person that's been created, but they've also been specifically called by the Lord. And here's my favorite one. 1 Corinthians 7.17. Here's a memory verse for you. Paul said, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Let me say that again. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So you were made in the womb and God knew what each person was going to be before he made them. You were called as a Christian with fruit in mind that the Lord chose you specifically. And Paul says you have a life that's been assigned to you and that you've been called to that life. Some people want to get real stuffy about this and say, well, everyone has a plan, but that doesn't mean they've all been called to something. The word, it says called right there. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. You have a specific life assigned to you, and it's not the same as everyone else. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul is writing to Christians, to every Christian, that you were created like Jeremiah, in Christ, like Jesus said in John 15, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You've got a divine to-do list over your life. That's pretty neat. He has a to-do list for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So not only did God create you with that in mind, not only did God save you with that in mind, not only did he assign you a life and give you a calling, not only did he give you a list of things to do, but he has given you his Holy Spirit's power in order to do that. That whole passage in 1 Corinthians 12 is about not every person has the same gifting because not every person has the same calling. We're all supposed to work together like a body works together. And in Colossians 1 verse 9, this is the last hurdle that you run into. People say, oh, God doesn't call people. Yes, he does. Well, that doesn't mean he's got specific things for you. Yes, he does. It says it right there. Say, well, there's no way you can know what it is. But in Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul says, I pray that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and understanding. So not only did God create you in the womb, knowing what you were going to be, like Jeremiah, not only did he specifically call you to be a Christian, to be part of the team, not only has he assigned you a life and given you a to-do list of works to do, not only has he given you his Holy Spirit's power, he wants you to know what it is. Know your calling. Because the Lord wants you and intends for you to know your calling. We make it so mysterious, right? That you can live your whole life not knowing what it's for. Then one day it just appeared to me. Paul's like, I pray for you that you'd know exactly what you're supposed to be living for. And it's what Paul prays for the Thessalonians here. That God may make you worthy of his calling. Yes, the calling to salvation, but also the individual calling that you have on your life right now. 
All those things we talked about, the life that God has assigned to you. Paul says, I pray that the Lord would make you worthy of it. Your life is a tool in the hand of God. How awesome is that? Now we get all American about that and say, no one uses me as a tool. I'm my own man. I'm an independent person. How about Moses? How foolish would it have been for Moses to say, I wish I was back herding sheep. I liked that so much better than parting the Red Sea and calling down plagues and leading the people to know God in the wilderness. He was a tool in the hand of God. Jesus Christ was a tool in the hand of his Father. And you also have been called that way. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. What are you called to be? You need to know. You've got to find it out because you've got to know what you have been made for. You ever been in the you ever have a project around the house and you look into your garage or your toolbox and you realize you don't have exactly the right tool for the job and you start to get creative and say, you know, I don't have the right thing, but what I do have is this. And maybe I could try that and see if it works. And then you end up breaking what you're trying to be working on, right? You need to know what kind of tool you are. You need to know what you've been designed for. Yes, you can use the drill as a hammer, but the drill was not designed to be a hammer. And it's actually going to be bad for the drill if you keep whacking it against the wall like that. That's not a story from my life, as far as you know. So, so here's the question. We've got to know our calling. We know we have a calling. And we know that God wants us to know what it is. That we have a purpose. We have a plan. How do you find out what it is? Somebody asked me that question this week. They said, listen, I know that God's got a call on my life, but I don't know how to find out what it is. Well, the thing is, with things like that, it's like the same five answers. You come back to the same things you know you're supposed to be doing. You've got to be in prayer. If you're not praying, and I mean praying, not like, thank you, Lord, for this food in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you've got to be in prayer, searching it out. God's not going to hide himself from you. The Bible says if you seek, you will what? Find. So, seek. <laughs> Try and find out. Get on your knees and ask the Lord, is God going to hide it from you? Lord, what do you want me to do? He's not going to say, I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you. You've waited too long to ask. Pray. Get on your knees. Seek the Lord. Number two, get your Bible open. Read it. Read about the kinds of things that God called people to do. Read about what it was like when people were experiencing the call of God on their lives. Read about the things you're supposed to be doing anyway. Start with those. How about that? Start with the things you know you're supposed to do. I'm looking for the call on my life. Okay, well, if you're not doing any of the things everyone is supposed to do, like let's, let's start there. That's why we go to church. There's a third thing. Talk to godly people. Talk to somebody who seems to know the voice of God, who seems to know exactly what they're called to do, and say, hey, will you help me figure this out? And they will be wise enough to help you and point you in the right direction. Number four, what, what are you excited about in the Spirit? I'm not talking about like what, what is the, the passion of your heart, right? That's a little different. I'm talking about when you are at your most spiritual, when you've been praying the very most, when you've been in the Word, when you've been abstaining from sin, what things about the kingdom of God light your fire? A lot of times people will be called when they are spiritual, and then they backslide for a few years, and they come back and say, well, I guess I'm not called after all. It's like, no, 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 you're not in a spiritual position to evaluate your call because you are less aware spiritually than you were back then. 
What lights your fire when you're in those prayer meetings? Which are the things that I talk about, about what we're going to do, or what, what passages of Scripture just burn in your heart? Number five, what about open doors? What's right in front of you? <laughs> I, I'm going to share a story that my father shared with me. He was leading a team, uh, missions team, I believe, in Australia. It could have been somewhere else. Not important, but the team of people were there, and they were doing concert ministry. So they were setting up a stage with the speakers and everything, and then they were going to have a concert and then share the gospel. And one of the members of the team was just standing there watching everybody unload the truck and set everything up. And, hey, help, help unload the truck. We've got to get this going. And the guy goes, that's not my ministry. That's not my ministry. And that sounds awful, and it is. But we can be like that in the church, too. Well, I'm really called to homeless ministry, and this church doesn't have a homeless ministry, so I'm not doing anything. There were people, I remember, I was in Lynchburg, Virginia, and there was a Liberty Universities there with a big seminary, and so the church would get interns and people that wanted to do ministry at the church. And they were great, but every now and then you'd come across one of these guys that was like, full of pride about what he was called to do. And I said, hey, I need to, uh, God's called me to be a preacher, a Bible teacher, and uh, I like to serve. And we said, okay, yeah, we actually really need a lot of help with the fourth and fifth grade kids. <laughs> he didn't want to preach to fourth and fifth grade kids. That's not really what I'm called to do. Like, what do you mean you're not called to do? He said, well, I, God's called me to be a preacher to adults. We go, we know, but you've never preached anywhere else before. And the open door is for the fourth and fifth graders. If you can preach the fourth and fifth, and of course you run through all the stories, right? You know, D.L. Moody was saved in his children's ministry class. Jerry Falwell, who's a big presence in the town, got to start doing fourth and fifth grade ministry, right? And kind of getting upset that he's minimizing ministry to the kids, right? And he says, it would be beneath my calling to do something other than what I'm called to do. And yeah, he didn't stick around very long. It was a nice guy. I was surprised that he said that, but he did. And, uh, he also got read the riot act by one of our assistant pastors, not me, but it was really funny. The one from Massachusetts was the one that fielded that question, so you can imagine how that went. Oh, it's not my calling. Well, is the door open? I'm called to do this. Okay, but what, where do they need help now? Where do they need people? Where do they need helping hands? Do that first and look at see where there's fruit in your life. When I am serving the Lord, what seems to work? Where does there seem to be success in what I do? Sometimes people volunteer for children's ministry and they do it faithfully, but they feel like all they're, they're doing is holding the line and, and white-knuckling it until church is over. And they're being faithful and kind of they're going to be rewarded for it, but you know, that's, that's not really long-term what God's called them to do. And then other people come in those children's ministry classes and like kids are getting saved and they just sit there like little angels the whole time and everyone loves them. Middle school ministry like is a special thing in God's mind. There, there were people that I knew that, that they would go into that ministry and the, the fruit would just blossom. And these 11-year-old kids would be sitting still and listening to them. And then I would go in there and it just wouldn't work. There was no fruit in that ministry. But it doesn't mean I wouldn't do it if it needed to be done. But if you're evaluating what God's called you to do, where is God blessing? When you're praying with people, do people just respond to you? My wife, she'll start talking to somebody and they'll bare their whole soul in like five minutes of talking to her. And she just knows exactly what to say. And she's got this, this wonderful family of people, especially young ladies that she's ministered to. That's where the fruit is. There's fruit from that ministry. So look for that. And number seven, and maybe this should come after those things. Sometimes you'll just have a radical experience with God where he just lays it on you. 
and you know what you're supposed to do. I had an experience like that when I knew I was supposed to be in ministry. I was an engineering major and not much liking it. But then I would look at the list of other things I could be doing, and I didn't like any of that either. And so I figured, well, I might as well do something that's going to make me money. But one day I couldn't take calculus class for another second. (laughs) So I cut class and went to the park instead and just sat there praying. And, Lord, I don't know what to do with my life. Everything seems like such a waste because I'm going to do it for 50 years, and then I'm going to die. And then what? A very Ecclesiastes kind of moment. You know, vanity, vanity, Lord. Everything is vanity. And I was reading in Matthew where Jesus says, the, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray that the Lord will send laborers into the harvest. And I prayed out loud, Lord, I don't want to pray for laborers. I want to be a laborer in the harvest. And I don't know where that came from, but it came out of me. And that just slapped me upside the head. I'm like, okay, hold on a minute. And I spent hours that day just praying and walking around the, the park and the trails and everything. And when I walked away from that, I knew what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. And God sharpened and honed that over time. But you might have an experience like that. So if you don't know what you're called to do, if you don't know what the plan of God is, the purpose for your life, I suggest you make it a point of prayer and fasting until you do. Fast once a week and say, Lord, today's Wednesday. I'm not going to eat breakfast, lunch. We'll eat dinner when I get home, but I'm going to spend my lunch break and my morning time praying that you'd show me what the purpose of my life is. God's not going to hide himself from you. God's going to tell you what he wants you to do. You're finding your function in the mission of Jesus Christ. This is not, by the way, your hobbies. A lot of times, I found out what my passion is. I found out what my calling is. And, you know, it's just the same thing you always like to do, except now you want to put a Christian fish on it and say that God's called me to do that. The amount of high schoolers that I talked to who thought they were called to have YouTube channels. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, they would come to me and, and you know, they're, they're 15. You know, you're trying to be kind and help them along, but... You know, I, I, I was really inspired by the message. You know, I, I'm really going to be putting extra time into my YouTube channel, my Instagram, and we're, we're going to get a following. And we're, I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe, right? But th- that's what they wanted to do anyway. <laughs> or there would be a, a young lady in the group, and I really feel like God is calling me to marry that girl. Hey, maybe, but that also could be it's just what you wanted to do anyway. And now you feel real spiritual about it. And so you say, well, I'm called, so, you know, she'll come around eventually. (laughs) Dangerous, dangerous, isn't it? Can there be overlap between your passions and your hobbies and what God's called you to do? Absolutely. I've met the other kind of person, too. They say, "I, I, I know I can't be called to be a pastor because I want it so bad. Like, What? I, I want to be a missionary so bad as all I ever think about, but that, that's how I know God can't be calling me to do that because it's not about our passions and what we want. Well, Paul said if anybody desires the office of an overseer, he desires a good thing. So they're not opposed to one another, but you need to make sure that you are hearing from the Lord and not just saying, you know, I really do love fixing up old cars. I think that's what God's called me to do. You know, I'll put little Bible verses in the, you know, in the, the visor so that people come and see them, and then they find God. Hey, that's a great thing to do. But don't just take what you already want to do and say, God has told me to do this. But I'll tell you what, there is nothing more stirring or exciting to know that you are doing exactly what you were created to do. So pursue it. Know your calling. Learn your calling. I originally, by the way, had this first point was find your calling. But that's a little different because God's already got a calling for you. It's not about going out and finding yourself. It's about talking to your Heavenly Father who's going to show you what he wants you to do.
So that's the first one. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. You have a plan and a purpose for your life. Find out what it is. And number two, may fulfill every resolve for good. That's those resolutions we were talking about at the beginning. Resolve for good. Really in Greek there he's saying every goodwill for goodness. So it's not just a resolve, it's a good resolve. It's a desire to do the right things. So every time you have said to yourself, we're going to do right, we're going to pursue that calling, we're going to walk at what God's called us to do, Paul says, I hope that God makes every one of those come true. Paul says, I hope every time you've gotten on your knees and said, Lord, this is what we're going to do, he says, I hope that God fulfills every single one of those things. Once you know what you're here for, what your plan is, what your calling is, it's time to commit to it. Commit to your calling. And I think that there is a lot to be said for having a moment and marking the occasion with some kind of ceremony. I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, dressing up in big robes and, you know, walking around and chanting or something. But it's having a moment with the Lord. I did this one time. I wrote down all the things that I felt God was calling me to do and all the steps I was going to take to pursue that. And I just took that piece of paper and laid it out in front of the Lord and said, God, this is what I'm planning to do. Now, God knew what was in my heart. I didn't need to write it down, but it helped me have a moment, right, with the Lord. Now, we can knock resolutions like, oh, just do it. Why do you got to have a moment? Why do you got to have an epiphany? Why do you got to? Okay, there's some truth to that. But it's also not good to knock resolution because, first of all, it's right there in your Bible. Fulfill every resolve for good. But also because it's not good enough just to talk about your calling. You find out what it is, and you talk about it, and you act like that's the same thing as pursuing it. It's not. I've met lots of people who feel called to be missionaries or worship leaders or pastors, and they talk about it every chance they get. But they've never done anything to commit themselves to that calling. They'll tell you. They'll tell you their whole story. They'll run through the whole thing and say, well, what are you doing now? Well, you know, we're waiting. I'm just waiting to see, waiting for God to speak to me. And, you know, that all sounds very spiritual. But after this many years, I I tend to groan in my spirit when I hear that. Because what it usually means is I'm not doing anything, but I'm really excited to have this cool story that everybody listens to. This is about committing yourself and reorienting your life around the thing God has called you to do. Moses had to get up and leave the sheep and go to, go to Egypt. The disciples had to leave their nets to go follow Jesus. It's about totally reorienting your life to do what God's called you to do. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, he said, Do not neglect the gift you have. Same idea which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. All may see your progress. I have friends that have been talking about what God's going to do in their life since before I was talking about it. And it's not that I'm so great, but it's been years, and I've moved on and I'm pastoring a church, and they're in the exact same spot, still telling the same story. Still talking about how great God is, how God's called me to be a missionary and, and this and that. But no one is seeing their progress. And now folks just kind of start to feel sorry for them. Like you've, been, you've been singing the same tune for how long? Well, it's God who works in us. I don't want to get ahead of God. All right. We have a responsibility to our calling. What if Moses had said, all right, Lord, then the second you pick me up and you just 
plop me in front of Pharaoh, I'll know exactly what to say. And then, then I'll do it, Lord. What if Peter had, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, Lord, do you want me to get out of the boat? Jesus probably would have just not said anything and kept walking. Well, he didn't say, so someday Jesus is going to come because he's called me to follow him, so I'm waiting for the word to get out of the boat. It's like, don't you think getting out of the boat was implied when he said, get up and follow me? Don't you think when God called you to do what he's called you to do, there was some motion implied in that? You become like what you immerse yourself in. Paul told Timothy, immerse yourself so that all may see your progress. Have you noticed that? That when you are watching that same show over and over and over again, it kind of becomes all you can think about. If I, I could make a list of every TV show that I have missed because I don't just watch a lot of TV, but it's become funny to watch. What, you, you don't watch that? Oh, you got to watch. It's going to be so great. And then I'm like, I just know that if I wait like three months, there's going to be another one that I'm going to miss. And you're going to be forgetting about this one. But everybody goes crazy about it. Years ago, it was Doctor Who. You're not watching Doctor Who? Oh, that's the coolest thing that everybody's ever seen. You've got to get on it. And then it was Stranger Things, and it was The Walking Dead, and it was whatever the one is right now. It just moved on. The Mandalorian is the one everybody's talking about. You watch it, and the culture just gets obsessed with it, right? It's every, the posters are everywhere. The toys are everywhere. People are talking about it. It's online. And then it's just kind of gone. You know what's so cool about being a Christian in 2021? You have the opportunity to curate your influences, to immerse yourself in the things of God. You have more online Bible studies. You have more books available. You have more churches that you can go and check out than ever before. So why wouldn't you do that? Well, I'm called. Okay, well, is that reflected in the way you spend your time? Paul told Timothy, immerse yourself. You become like what you think about. So number one, this means you've got to start thinking and talking like your calling. If God's called you to be an evangelist and lead your neighbors to Jesus Christ, you've got to start thinking about that. Not just, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing that, I forgot. Thinking about it, talking about it, coming together with the church and saying, this is what God's called me to do, so let's pray for it. You've got to evaluate your life and behavior and take stock and say, okay, we're supposed to follow Jesus. I don't think we can take the boat with us. So the boat's got to go. Look at your life. What's got, to, what's got to go? What needs to be added? Decide what needs to be done. Make a plan to do it. You've got to move forward. Get, it, get a plan together. Next step is going to be about working the plan, right? But you've got to at least determine that you're going to follow the calling. I've told so many preachers to be what they've got to do to get ready for their, their mission and their calling. And it's always the same basic boring stuff. I said, all right, if you want to you be a pastor, you want to be in ministry, you want to do these things, show up early before the services start. There's always a ton of help that needs to be done. And when you have free time during the week, just come into the church and, and hang out and see what, what is available for you. And join some ministry teams. And if there's a church service, make sure you're there. And be reading your Bible. When's the last time you read through your Bible? Why don't you just go ahead and read through the whole thing again? Here's a couple books for you to be working on and thinking through. And you know what? We've actually got a class coming up in a few weeks. Sign up for that class. Every single time. Yes! Oh, awesome. I'm going to do it. It's going to be so great. Most of the time, it's not, it's not done. There's no resolution. There's no resolve for good. We love the calling, but there's no resolution. But the few who did those things, never always the most talented, never the, the best prospects, you know, never the first round draft picks maybe, but the ones that come in and resolve to do the right thing, 
and commit to it, those are the ones that God uses. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? You've got somebody like, that's the one that God wants to use. But then that person doesn't do anything. So meanwhile, this one over here that maybe has fewer skills and fewer charisma and, and maybe doesn't know the Bible as well, they're just working, 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 working and getting better to where now God is able to use them because they committed to it. Write it down. I don't know why we don't do more of this. Write down what you're supposed to do in order to pursue your calling. Make a plan and go for it. And we get judgmental about that. Well, that seems kind of legalistic, don't you think? All right, if you think somebody else's plan is legalistic, tell me yours. I'm sure it's so much better. Right? I, I used to get like that. I, I'd read about somebody's method or somebody's plan or strategy. I'm like, you don't need that. You just need the Holy Spirit. Don't you know anything? And the Lord's like, what's your plan, pal? Because they seem to be a little more spiritual than you. Well, that, plan, that, that prayer outline is just so restrictive. And God's like, well, how much have you prayed lately? And the other thing you've got to look out for during this, before we move on, is Satan, when, he kn when you know what your calling is and what God has planned for you, he'll start inviting shadow callings into your life. These are things that feel an awful lot like a calling, but they're not, and they're taking you away from what God wants you to do. They glitter, they seem lots of fun, but they're empty at the bottom. And you know they're empty because when you are doing what God's called you to do, and you do it, and you get exhausted, you feel great. You're like, I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. When you pursue a shadow calling and you get exhausted, you just get grouchy. Man, what is the point of all this? The number of guys who get called to be missionaries who go home and said, you know what? I should get that guitar back out. And then they get the guitar back out and they start playing and say, you know what? I'm going to be a rock star for Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And we're neglecting all this over here for the shiny glittery thing over here. But it's empty and it's hollow. And then you find out that you've just lost a couple months in pursuit of that calling. Look out for those things that pop up, that when you have a moment with the Lord and he shows you what you want to do, and then you go home and all of a sudden that thing that you haven't really thought about in a while seems so appealing to you. That's spiritual warfare, my friend. Make a resolution. Decide what you need to do to pursue your calling. Make it specific, not just, I'm going to pray more. Great, but how much more, right? And then go for it. And Paul says that the Lord will fulfill every resolve for good if we're resolving in the right direction. Isn't that cool? Commit yourself. And the third thing he says, and fulfill every work of faith. Resolutions are good, but it's up to you to give them legs. Work your calling, Christian. Is it weird to associate work with calling? It shouldn't be. Every person that God used in the Bible had a long period of preparation before the big moment came, didn't they? Paul ended up having like 17 years between the Damascus Road and being called to being the elder in Antioch. Moses had 40 years in the wilderness. After the 40 years he had spent in Egypt. Jesus lived 30 years and then had 40 days in the desert before the Lord sent him out. There's a time of preparation that we all need. You've got to work. Callings are not just magic things where now all of a sudden you're ready. That's, that's TV. That's not life. Work. They are intertwined, work and calling. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That word for labor means to exhaust yourself. So Paul could say, Give honor to the elders who exhaust themselves preaching and teaching. 
I'm supposed to exhaust myself in my calling. So what makes you think you're so special? <laughs> you have a calling on your life too, and you ought to be worn out in pursuit of that. You've got to work the calling. If it's evangelism, you've got to get out there and work. Read books on strategies on how to talk to people. Look up apologetics issues. Go out and actually buy some tracks. Go out and talk to people. Go knock on doors. Find out what works for you. If your calling is to be an a angel of mercy in people's lives, then when you come to church, it's go time. You've got to be talking to people and finding out who needs mercy. You've got to be getting phone numbers and calling them up. You've got to be finding out who else wants to do this and getting people in it to help you out. If you've got a calling, you've got to work at it. This is the boring part. <laughs> but it is also the non-skippable step. And there's two areas of work that I want to evaluate here. Number one is your spiritual preparation. You should be working at getting spiritually prepared. Paul says, I discipline my body. I like the way the New Living says, I beat my body into submission and make it my slave. We're serving Jesus. Get in line. Oh, I'm just, it's so hard for me to get up in the morning. Paul says, I make my body my slave. We're getting up. because We don't have time to pray after work, so we're praying before work. Right? So these are the spiritual disciplines. We've gone through these many times, but these are the ten that I'm going to run through. That if you're saying, well, how, how do I pursue my calling? What's some work I can be doing? You prepare yourself, number one, through prayer. Like I said, basic stuff. Not just agreeing that prayer is a good idea, but actually getting on your knees and saying some prayers. Number two, reading the scripture. Read it and read it and read it again. Then get a different translation and read that one and see if anything new stands out to you. Read the scripture. Open up to the table of contents and see which book you forgot what it's about. And then read that one a few times. Number three, fellowship. You've got to be around other Christians. You've got to be having spiritual Christian conversations with one another. Number four, worship, especially through music and singing. Be giving your voice over to sing praise to the Lord. Maybe get rid of some of that other stuff you've been listening to and put a different song in your mouth. Fasting. When was the last time you fasted? I hope it was recently. Because Jesus said, when you fast, right? The bridegroom will go and then they will fast, which is now. So we ought to be fasting. We ought to be studying the word. So not just reading it, but laboring to understand what it means. Evangelism is a spiritual discipline. You've got to be telling folks about Jesus. You must do that. I'm not an evangelist. Neither was Timothy, but Paul told him to do the work of an evangelist. Number eight, service. Where are you serving in the church? Don't show up to church like a consumer, expecting just to get everything that you, you paid for. This is us working together to build one another up and to reach the lost. Meditation. This is thinking God's way. When the, when's the last time you got quiet before the Lord? When's the last time you were quiet, period? But slow down. Put the phone on airplane mode. Sit still. Think about the Lord. Think about what you read. Think about what Sunday's message was. Be quiet and just listen to see if God wants to speak to you. Number 10, stewardship. How are you stewarding your resources for the kingdom of God? Not one of those things I just said, probably, has any direct or specific bearing on what you've been called to do, but all of those things will prepare you as a Christian and make you more ready to do what God's called you to do. And every calling has its own set of skills that need to be mastered. If you want to be a pastor, you've got to learn how to study that Bible. 
You gotta learn how to present it to people. If you want to serve as a deacon in the church, you've got to practice doing chores around the church. You've got to walk around and say, that needs fixing. You've got to practice leading conversations to be about the Lord. If you want to be a missionary, you've got to go on some mission trips. You've got to practice living with less. Everyone has its own set of skills that got to be mastered. If you want to be a worship leader, You've got to learn, practice your instrument. You've got to practice leading people, not just playing. You've got to be spiritually in tune. You've got to be learning the songs. There's a whole set of stuff that goes along with it. Those who are unwilling to do the basics are never going to advance to the next level. I know that I'm supposed to study the Bible, but all I really want to do is preach to crowds and arenas of people. Listen, pal, if you don't sit down and actually learn how to do this, you're never going to get there. I want to be leading thousands of people to Christ. Okay, you got to talk to one person. One person. I just have this image in my mind that God's given me of, of leading whole groups of people to Christ for the first time and, and those who are, are destitute and poor and don't have anything. Okay, when was the last time you were around somebody who's poor and destitute? Go find them. Work your calling. You can't just live your life preparing and planning. You've got to step out and go. These are works, it says, of faith. Eventually, you've got to, you've got to step out in faith. There came a point where I knew God wanted me to be a pastor and a church planter. Eventually, it was time to go. How much longer are we going to wait? Let's just go plant the church. And I had plenty of people telling me, wait, wait, wait. But I was like, wait for what? I already know what I'm supposed to do. Let's step out. You've got that Jonathan and his armor bearer moment where they say, it may be that if we do this, God will bless us. If not, oh, well, we took a step of faith. Step out and see. Do the real thing. Get a beautiful goal from God in your heart and pursue it wholeheartedly. I'll tell you, for me, years and years, the goal that I was looking towards and the image in my mind and the thing my heart was set on was getting out and planting a church. Well, we did that. <laughs> We're in the building. I'm full-time staff. I'm 29. I've got a lot of life left, I think, unless the Lord comes back tomorrow. So it's like, all right, now what, Lord? And since I've been here, it's been so cool, you guys. The Lord is just refining that and shaping that, and showing me what's next, and what could be at this place. And I get so excited, just pumped up walking around, praying in this room, walking in between the aisles, and there's nobody here, so I can pray nice and loud, you know what I mean? And the Lord is, is just shaping that, and forming that, because there's always a next thing God wants to do. Don't think to yourself, oh, I'm too young, I've got to wait. Jeremiah told the Lord that, you know what God said? Do not say, I am a youth. I kind of feel like the Lord is like, please, everybody says that. Would you at least not say that, Jeremiah? Well, I'm too busy. Of course you're too busy. We're all too busy. Join the club. Busy people still have to pursue the calling of God on their life. Well, I'm too old. I can't do that anymore. George Mueller was 75 years old and was wrapping up his orphanage ministry. And he said, well, I guess I've got to find something else to do. How about a missionary? And he went out and became a missionary to places like Africa and India and South America. Nehemiah was an old man when God called him. The Lord also called Timothy, who was a young man. The Lord isn't worried about that. If you're still alive, you've still got stuff on that Ephesians 2.10 to-do list that you've got to be pursuing. Work your calling. Find out what it is. The Lord's not going to hide it from you. Resolve to do it. Commit to it. Structure your life around it. But then step out. You've got to start doing it. How long are we going to wait? <laughs> How much longer are we going to wait? The Jesus could come back tomorrow. And then what? Oh, Lord, I had all these great plans. And he's like, great. You didn't do any of them. But the best part 
is that last little phrase in verse 11, is that all of this, making us worthy, fulfilling every resolve and every work of faith, is by His power. I'm just not strong enough. Good. The Lord says, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's like, God got it started. God's going to finish it. The Lord did not say, here, I want you to go, Moses, and part the Red Sea. Have fun. Let me know when you've got it done. The Lord's like, no, I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to perform signs and wonders through you, Moses. It's the same thing for you. That's why Jesus said, ask. Why did Jesus say, I'll give you anything you ask? Not so that you could have a wonderful life and like 10 swimming pools and, you know, peacocks in the front yard. He said, ask anything and I'll give it to you so that you could accomplish the calling he's put on your life. So, Lord, you've called me to be an evangelist. And I've been sharing the gospel with people. I've shared with 100 people and not one has listened to me. Lord, I, I, I need special insight into people's lives. Would you, would you grant me that? That when I come to somebody's door, I'll, I'll, the things I say will just be guided by your spirit that penetrate right to their heart. Lord, as I pray before I go out, I pray that you would reveal things to me about the people that I'm going to share the gospel to. And he said, that seems kind of strange. Oh, it's no more strange than parting the Red Sea, is it? And then the Lord says, oh, I like that. That's a great idea. Now the person that normally would slam the door in your face is arrested by the fact that you seem to know something about them. Haven't you had one of those moments before? When you're out sharing the gospel with somebody and you say something that you thought was just kind of a random comment and then they just start to shake because like you just, you just opened up my whole life. It wasn't you, it was the Lord. God wants to do those things through you. It's his power. And he gives us in verse 12 the purpose. Why? Why would God do these things for you? Why would God call you and then help you to accomplish that calling? Verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. That you may glorify our Lord Jesus. It's not all about you. Isn't that nice? Your calling is not all about you and somehow giving you everything you ever wanted. Sometimes the, the calling of God leads you to some miserable places in the flesh. But in the spirit, they're exactly where God wants you to be. John the Baptist said in John 3, verse 30, his disciples came and said, John, more people are going after your cousin than you. His church is bigger. They're baptizing more people. Uh, what are we going to do? He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what your life is to be. That the more you work, the less people see you and the more they see Jesus through you. We're on a mission. And your calling is great for you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It, it'll transform your life. But ultimately, it's to glorify Jesus and accomplish his purposes on the earth. Don't come to God all selfish and start demanding help with your own stuff. All right, Lord, I think it would be great for me to be a world-famous worship leader slash social media influencer. So here's the 10 things that I need. Chop, chop, get on it. No, no, no. That's about glorifying yourself. The Lord wants to glorify his son Jesus through you. And I might add, because it's all about the glory of Jesus, a calling is not negotiable or optional. God did not call Moses and say, all right, Moses, just check the box, yes or no, and then submit it back. What about Jonah? Jonah tried to say no to his calling. The Lord sent a whale to swallow him and barf him up on the beach and said, now, where were we, Jonah? Lord, have you found that? that if you try to ignore your calling, the Lord just won't let you go? And he won't let you be happy anywhere else? And you're like, I, just, I can't enjoy the things I used to enjoy. Well, yeah, because that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And God's going to put pebbles in your shoe the rest of your life until you come around. 
1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. There's no such thing as no Lord, no master. You ever say that to your mom? No, Dad. What did you say to me? I say that to my, I love saying that to my kids. It's like, come on, I need you to do that. Okay, one minute. Excuse me? <laughs> I said now. But we come to God and we say, well, Lord, I don't know that I'm ready. God's like, I, I called you. What ready? I'm the one that makes you ready, and I said go, so let's go. But here's the next cool part. Not only that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, he says, and you in him. And that you may be glorified in him. God calls you to glorify his son Jesus, but also to glorify you. That sounds bad. What does it say, though? It says, and you in him. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'll say, amen. And if children, then heirs. Oh, yes, amen. Heirs of God. Oh, amen. And fellow heirs with Christ. Okay. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I don't know about that one. That gets harder. But it's right. It's the same thing. The future glorification of the church is a subject that we could talk about for months. That when we're glorified, we will reign with Christ. I was explaining that to my sons the other day. And I said, what does that make you? What, what is a son of the king called? A prince. So are you a prince? Yeah, I'm Prince Colton. First John 3 verse 2 says we will see him as he is. That's the cool one. You're going to get in God's presence and see him as he is. Samson's parents saw an angel and said, we're dead. We're dead. No one can see God. But John said, we're not even going to know what we will be because we're going to see him as he is. Then it's 2 Timothy 2.12 that says we will reign with him. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 says we will judge angels. It's like Judge Judy, except two angels are going to walk in. And they're going to be waiting for you to give them a decision. Oh, does that sound weird to you? That's what your Bible says. That's why Paul said, y'all can't get along. You're going to be telling angels what to do and resolving their conflicts. Colossians 3 verse 4 says that we will appear with him in glory. That when Jesus appears from heaven and rides down in that Revelation 19 moment, clothed in a robe, splattered with the blood of his enemies, and the sword coming out of his mouth, says that we will appear with him. That's your destiny. And your glory in heaven is connected to your faithfulness now. So if you live your life not just for yourself, but for that final capital D day, you will fulfill your calling. And not only will that give you an abundant life, John 10, 10, but a glorious welcome in heaven. This is the only way to achieve fulfillment in your life. Yeah, God's calling is really great, but you know, I, I, I really just like video games. I'm a simple man. That's all I want to do. And, and I know that the older crowd, you know, turns up their nose at that. But every generation's got their thing. Every, every generation's got their thing that's kind of frivolous and that the early one thought was a waste of time. Whether it's model airplanes or Call of Duty, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is what I like to spend my time, is what I'm good at. I've spent a lot of time getting good at this. And the Lord's like, yeah, but glory. Glory, though. <laughs> and the means he gives us at the end, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all by God's grace. You have not earned this. You're not so great that God gave you this calling. God said, look, I'm going to take this ragtag nobody and hold him up and give him a mighty calling to be glorified in heaven. I must be a diamond in the rough. No, you're rough in the rough. You're one of those old charcoal briquettes that you throw on the grill when you're about to cook burgers. There's no diamond in there. 
But guess what? God saved you anyway. Isn't that better? It's not like you've got some hidden potential you've got to live up to. You've got no potential. It's all grace. It's all Jesus. And this is our final reminder. It's not about us. Paul said this about his calling to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, although formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You don't deserve your salvation. You don't deserve your calling. It's all grace. So this is not just a rah-rah, you go out and live your best life. It's going to be wonderful. This is about acting in faith in the grace of God. That God, by the blood of his Son, has placed his favor over your life. And that now your life has meaning and has purpose. Whereas before, it didn't. If God has chosen you for salvation, there is a reason. And it's not just to be saved. It's to live out what he's called you to do now. So, these three things. Know your calling. Commit to your calling. And work your calling. It's not about having a little badge that says Christian. And then someday that's going to be your ticket to get into heaven. The guy that buried his one talent in the ground was called a wicked and lazy servant. The ones that went out and worked were called good and faithful. The Lord wants you to glorify him, and he wants to glorify you too. So learn what that calling is. Make some resolutions to do good, and then work it in faith that God's going to make it happen. We say revival. We want revival. Lord, change our nation. We need revival. When everybody in this room starts living out the life that God has intended for them, and I'm not even saying 100%. I'm saying like 12%. 12% of what God's intended then the gates of hell are going to start to crumble. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. You know what's interesting about that, that passage? Gates are defensive. Gates don't march on anybody. The gates are coming. The church is on offense in that illustration. I had a professor that would finish up his message and he says, all right, when he would send us out, he'd say, remember, God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. So see you next time. Go out and kick some gate." Go out and kick the gates of hell down because they're, they're closed against you because when you're filled with the power of God and living out your calling, you are unstoppable in Christ Jesus. So let's stop messing around. You've got a short little life, but it's got a purpose. And God has put a plan in place and then go for it. And the word tells us that the Lord will empower you with his Holy Spirit resurrection power. And he's going to make it happen.